You are listening to sermons from the pulpit of the Bible Baptist Church in Marysville, California. We hope you will be blessed as you listen to another practical message. You and I don't have to wait till we die to have life. Uh, what a blessing, what a powerful song there. Exodus chapter 4, and let's keep our Bibles out here. Exodus chapter 4, and let's read these verses again. Uh, verse number 1. Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. For they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he, ca and he said, Cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Here, as we have been looking just into Moses' life and the call of God on his life and the job that God has revealed to him to accomplish, we see great insecurity in Moses. You would think that this great leader that was going to lead three and a half million Jews would just have confidence. You would think that he would be able to just make decisions and never have to second guess them. And any person that's, each of us are in leadership at different levels. But you would think that Moses, the guy that God's going to call, that he would be secure. You would think that he would be confident. You would think that he would just be able to look at something and, and sort of chart out a plan and say, okay, this is the way we're going and never look back. But Moses was a man just like us. Don't we wish we always had the answer? Don't we wish we always had that confidence? Even when we know what we should do, but what we want to do doesn't come together. And they don't line up. And God here is calling a man by the name of Moses to do something that was completely out of his comfort his comfort zone. And God here has, is going to help him as he works through this process. You know, as God wants us to do things for him, it's not always in our comfort zone. I remember I surrendered to preach, and 17 years old, surrendered to preach, and uh, I remember after I'd gotten saved and they'd started my 10th grade year, the church started a Christian school and I left the public school, went into Christian school and it was, it was completely different. They actually expected you to learn something. And so, uh, and, and I know that's not the case with every public school, but mine, I had all D's and F's and still passed. Uh, and so uh, I had F's in my English, I had F's in math, I had F's in history, I had F's some of our kids are in here, aren't they? And so here I was. I was, not, I was not doing any learning, but I was still passing. Played baseball. Uh, I was a wrestler. Uh, so there were things that uh, I was just getting pushed along. And, and here uh, I remember that, that as I was uh, surrendering to, I surrendered to preach. And, and as soon as I surrendered to preach, we were at a youth conference. All of a sudden, the awareness was college. I'm going to have to go to college. And school and me were not friends. 
And all of a sudden, there was a different switch that had to be flipped. I was not comfortable. I knew that God wanted me to preach. I knew that he wanted me to be a pastor. I get to college, and I felt like I came from a, from a church, and I was, I was preaching in junior church. I was a bus captain and serving the Lord. And I get to college, I felt like I had some things together in my life. And all of a sudden, I look around at everybody that's there, and I think, man, I don't have anything together. And I remember just thinking, I can't do this. So I pushed off all of my preaching classes. I pushed off my speech classes. My senior year is when I started any of those classes. Because I did not want to get up in front of anybody. And I just remember the, the trepidation that was there. It wasn't in my comfort zone. But it's what God wanted me to do. You know, sometimes God wants us to step into an area that we feel like we can't do. Where we feel a little bit overwhelmed. Or maybe it's embarrassment. Maybe it's, maybe it's something that uh, just, just fear in itself. And Moses here, I see how he was, he was in an area where God was asking him to be a public speaker. God was asking him to, to go before Pharaoh, to stand before the children of Israel, to be the one that was going to be that leader. And you could not do so without public speaking. And here Moses had a fear. And we know, I spoke about it a little bit this morning, about how he chose and brought an individual by the name of Aaron, his brother, older brother, brought him alongside to help. But here... God looks at, at Moses, when Moses is saying, I can't do this, God says, what's in your hand? What's in your hand? He's saying, what, what's something that you are comfortable with? And Moses here is holding a staff. He spent 40 years on the backside of the desert with a bunch of sheep. This is something that he's, he's good with. This is something he's comfortable with. This is something that he has no qualms about. If God wanted him to be a shepherd, fine, Lord, I got my, my, my staff. I'm ready to go. I've got a rod. I'm good. And God here says, what's in your hand? Moses says, a rod. He says, throw it to the ground. And he throws it on the ground and becomes a serpent. And he flees from before it. How many are thinking Moses is a man of intelligence at that point? All right, now we have a serpent on the ground, and he's scattering from that. But then God says, pick it up, uh, pick it up, and pick it up by the tail. And, you know, how many of you have ever caught snakes? Yeah, when I was a kid, we'd catch snakes all the time. You know what? When you catch a snake, the only time you would ever grab it by the tail is if it's going away from you, and you're just trying to stop it. But you don't pick it up by the, by the tail, because you're going to get bit. What do you do? You put your hand down, you grab it behind the neck. And you pick it up by the head. Here God says, pick it up by the tail. Oh, I'm not quite sure about this one. But he picks it up by the tail and it becomes a rod. God was looking for Moses 
to give him what he had. Tonight I don't want to speak to you on the subject. We'll start with that. We'll start with that. Father, I pray that you'd help us this evening, and Lord, uh, help us to be able to take and look at some things that will be uh, a help to us, and may, may we look into your word and see some things that will be uh, a, cause us to be able to move forward uh, for you. And so I pray that you'd bless now, please, for Christ's sake. Amen. Let's start with that is the title there. Uh, let's start with that. So what do we find here? First of all, uh, we find Moses giving God something that was his strength. What was his strength? He was comfortable, first of all, with a rod. Uh, and, and so here we see this simple everyday shepherd's tool. It was a tool that uh, Moses was very comfortable with. It was something that uh, was simple and safe and secure. It was something that he didn't have to worry about. He knew exactly what it was for. He knew how to use it. And Moses had a rod and God said, okay, I, I want you to do something else, but I'll start with the rod. I'll take what you'll give me right now. I'll start with your strength. And you know, uh, God, God has a way of being able to take what we have in an area where we have some security, then to branch us out and to grow us into areas uh, that we may not have security in. Uh, the leadership and the growth and the expansion that God was going to bring into Moses' life was beyond what he was ready to do. But God says, listen, what do you have in your hand? And God says, I'll start with that. Let's start with that strength. Let's start with what you can give me. It was a new calling. It was a new opportunity that God was going to open up for this man. There was a new direction. And Moses wasn't comfortable with this new direction, but God had some way to bridge that gap. And he said, okay, Let's start with what you can give me. You know, I wonder sometimes when God wants us to do something and we think there's no way for me to be able to do what you're asking me to do. But God doesn't start with necessarily what we can't do. Sometimes he stops and says, what's that in your hand? So let's start with that. Let's start with that, that rod that was in his hand, that strength that was in his hand. Let's look at some other people that had some things that they could give God. Uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't a rod uh, that... Uh, uh, somebody has maybe secondly it's a voice maybe it's a voice I think about uh, John chapter number one turn your Bibles there in John 1 uh, we have the uh, the account of John uh, uh, and John here is communicating who he is he's communicating to the scribes and Pharisees and uh, and we'll we'll see here uh, about that John chapter number one let's look at verse number uh, 19. The Bible says, and this is the record of John, when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who art thou? And he confessed and denied not, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Art thou Elias? And he said, I am not. Art thou that prophet? And he answered, no. Then said they unto him, who art thou that we may give an answer to them that sent us? What sayest thou of thyself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the, as said the prophet Isaiah. Uh, you know, God had a job for John to do. He didn't ask John for a rod, but he asked John for his voice. 
You see, John had something else that he could give to God. He had another uh, way to be able to serve God, and it was, it was a voice. Uh, God had a job for John to do, but uh, he, was, he wasn't one who seemed really to have a whole lot to offer. Take your Bibles to go and go to Matthew chapter number 11. When we, we look at John, John would not be that guy that we would be drawn to. He, he was, here's John, he's that weirdo. He, he's, the, he's the guy that's on the side of the street preaching, but he looks like he's completely come apart. Nothing's put together. And, and you look into his life, the Lord even referred back to him here. Uh, Matthew chapter 11, look at verse number 7. And as they departed, Jesus began to say unto the multitudes concerning John, What went ye out in the wilderness to see? A reed shaken with the wind? But what went ye out for to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But, but what went ye out for to see? A prophet? Yea, I say unto you, and more than a prophet. So here God was calling John, and John, humanly speaking, was not one of those guys that you would look at and say, man, uh, that guy's got everything together. That's somebody that I want to follow, though he was a prophet and more than a prophet, but this was a man who had something to give, and it was his voice. He had a voice that he was going to, to give. He did not have a good self-image. John did not have a grand presentation. He, he didn't go, come on the scene with a $7,500 Brioni suit. He didn't show up with a $10,000 Burberry jacket. He shows up with camel's hair. It's crazy. Brother Jordan and I, years ago, we were uh, down at the Capitol, and we had some time, and uh, there was an intermission, and so we ended up walking down the streets down there by the Capitol, and we walked into a tailor's, uh, this tailor's uh, shop, and you know, when you walk into a, into a suit shop, and there's no suits, you're out of your class. All there were were bolts of fabric. And I'm thinking, did I just walk into, into a fabric store? And there's this man that's standing there, and he's got a tape around his neck. And there's, there's books everywhere. There's catalogs of what suits look like. No, I'm used to walking in, grabbing something off the shelf and trying them on. Yeah, that works. That doesn't work. And that's about it. Uh, here they walk in and say, okay, what kind of fabric would you like? Fabric? What are you talking about? You're not talking to my wife. I'm not, I don't know anything about fabric. Uh, and, and so here, uh, you know, there's a difference. And this guy was, we were talking to him, and what were the ties? $200, something like that. It was 200 bucks for a tie. Uh, and you had to buy, was it, no, shirts. You had to buy the shirts. You couldn't buy a shirt for, you had to buy three at a time. And they were like 200 bucks a piece. Uh, for a shirt. And I'm thinking, my goodness, uh, I am in the wrong place. So then we just started having a little bit of fun with it. And so he asked what I did. I told him I was, uh, we we're pastors. And, and so here we are. And he goes, okay. He says, oh, I do, the, I do the suits for all the pastors in the area. I said, really? <laughs> and they started at 3250 
was the beginning price, the entry price for a suit. And so he says, oh yeah, all the pastors, and he starts naming off these churches and the pastors that get their suits there. And I'm thinking, there ain't no way in this world that I'm spending $3,200 for a suit. Uh, and, and so uh, anyway, uh, John, when he come on, came on the scene, he wasn't coming on the scene looking like he stepped out of a GQ magazine. He didn't come on the scene with a presentation of wealth and worldly possessions and worldly success. He wasn't somebody that, that came on the scene and God said, listen, uh, I can use you because you can do all these other things. No, God, God said, you know what, John, I just need somebody who has a voice. I need somebody who can communicate a message. I need somebody who is going to give the truth. I need somebody who will, who will use a voice. He did have a voice, and not everybody would like his voice, and not everyone would like uh, his voice, uh, and not everybody would like his message. His voice brought the skeptics around to him. His voice brought criticism of the world. His voice brought conviction to the hear uh, and to the hearts of the hear. His, his voice brought condemnation for, from those who were convicted. But he had a voice. He had something to give to God. You know, God doesn't expect all of us to give him the same thing. He wasn't looking at John and saying, John, how come you don't have a rod? And he wasn't looking at Moses saying, Moses, why don't you have a voice? You see, God was coming to these individuals with a plan that was based on their strengths and what God uh, had for them and what they could do. Uh, maybe it wasn't even a strength, but it was something that they could do for him. And, but he did have something to offer. He had a voice. Uh, this voice that he had, let's start with that. And God did. John gave him what he had, and he was willing to give it. Let's start with that. A rod. Let's start with that. A voice. Let's start with that. Commitment. Take your Bibles and go back to Daniel chapter number 3. We can look into the Word of God and we can see that there are some people that have had some things to offer God. And when they offered it to God, He was able to use it for His honor. Daniel chapter 3, let's look at verse number 14. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Do, ye, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbolt, sutry, psaltery, and dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made well." But if not, uh, ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thy hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou has set up. You know, these three Hebrew boys, they were committed to their God. 
They were committed. They had a commitment in their, their life uh, to their God that, that transcended all of the oppositions that they faced. Uh, these three Hebrew boys were committed to their God uh, more than their peers. They looked around at those that were, uh, were taken into captivity with them, and they were bowing down. Uh, and, and here, these boys chose not to. Uh, they, they had more commitment uh, than uh, the princes that were, were called in alongside them. Uh, they, they still did not bow down. They had uh, more commitment to God than the people of the land. Uh, they were committed to their God. And, and God could see uh, they were committed to their God. And they were committed to a God that they could not see. It's not like they could look up heavenward and see him any clearer than you and I. And here they were, having a commitment to God, all in faith. It was all by faith. They had a commitment to a God that they could not see, a God that had allowed them to be ripped from their homes, taken as slaves, a God who had allowed them to endure some horrendous treatment yet they were still committed to their God. How many have we seen over the years? How many times have we been tempted, even ourselves, when something that goes wrong, to think, God, you're not treating me fair? Or God, what is going on? God, why would you allow this to happen? You see, these boys, they had, they had commitment. They were committed to their God. You know, you and I may not have a whole lot to offer the Lord. And we might look around and think, God, I don't have anything to offer you. I don't have the strengths of a Moses. I don't have the strengths of, uh, of some of these other uh, individuals. You look at the Apostle Paul's life, and, and you can look at his life, and you can say, I can understand why God would use him. Uh, he was smart. He was, he was uh, driven. He was an accomplished individual. Uh, he, he was somebody you could say, okay, I understand why God would use him. But God wants to use you. And God wants to use me. You see, what can I give to God? Maybe I feel like I have nothing of value to offer. And the Lord says, what, what do you have in your hand? A rod. Let's start with that. Uh, what do you have in your hand? Uh, a voice. Well, let's start with that. What do you have in your hand? Commitment. Then let's start with that. What do you have in your hand? Loyalty. Loyalty. 1 Samuel chapter 20. 1 Samuel chapter 20, and we'll read verses 30 and 30 through 32. You know, you and I have things at our disposal that we can offer to God. 1 Samuel chapter 20 and verse number 30. The Bible says, Then Saul's anger was kindled against Jonathan. And he said unto him, Thou son of uh, the perverse, rebellious woman, do not I know that thou hast chosen the son of Jesse to thine own confusion, and unto thy confusion? 
unto the confusion of thy mother's nakedness. For as long as the son of Jesse liveth upon the ground, thou shalt not be established, nor thy kingdom. Wherefore now send and fetch him unto me, for he shall surely die. And Jonathan answered Saul his father and said unto him, Wherefore shall he be slain? What hath he done? You see, Jonathan and David, they had here a, a great friendship. And, and as Jonathan and David had this friendship, Jonathan was the rightful heir to the, to the kingdom. He was the one that is in line uh, to be the king. Saul understood that. He knew that David was going to be king. He knew it. Uh, he even st stated it here to Jonathan. He said, don't you understand? As long as David lives, you will never be king. And Jonathan, though, he had a loyalty to the plan of God that he wasn't going to raise himself get what he could gain there was a loyalty to his friend there was a loyalty to his god and the plan of god you know the plan of god does not always result in self-promotion it doesn't even always result in promotion self-promotion almost never uh, but but promotion here, here, Jonathan, he was demoting himself. And you know the story as you read through that how Jonathan and David had met and Jonathan uh, told David, he said, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to stand before the king and I'm trying to find out whether or not it is safe for you to come back into the kingdom. And, and he said, listen, I'm going I'm to go and I'm going to shoot my, my arrows and if I shoot my arrows and, and, I, and the lad that comes to pick up the arrows, if I tell him to keep on going, uh, then it's not safe. Uh, if, if I tell him that it's, it's close and come closer to me and it's, it's nearer, he said, then, then how I respond to the shot arrow will then reveal to you whether or not you need to just keep on going or whether you can come back in. And here, Jonathan then is going to go and he's going to shoot these arrows and the lad that's with him, he tells him, he says, no, it's beyond you, it's beyond you. And, and, and so uh, he wasn't able to get those arrows, so he just said, pick up what you can what do we find there was a loyalty that was there you know loyalty is something that we all need to have and loyalty to individuals is a wonderful trait but loyalty to God the principles of God are paramount because we don't always know what's going on this direction but when we're loyal to what God's plan is, we will, we will always be in a good place. Jonathan here, he was loyal. Uh, Jonathan, Jonathan, as the rightful heir, uh, we look at David, who was the son of Jesse. We look through the scriptures and we know he had already been anointed to be king. David knew he was going to be king. Jonathan knew that he was going to be king. Saul knew he was going to be king. But Saul was wanting Jonathan to be loyal to him outside the plan of God. And, and Jonathan chose to be loyal uh, to his friend and to his God. And so, uh, so here, loyalty, uh, it went beyond self-promotion. It was a loyalty uh, that was purpose-driven. It was a mission-driven loyalty. 
It wasn't a self-promoting loyalty. Jonathan knew that David was to be the next king. He knew that David was not the enemy. But Jonathan was just looking at the plan of God. And he knew that he was not destined to be king. You know, loyalty is a great trait, but it has to be properly placed. You know, I think we should be loyal individuals. But we have to be loyal to truth. Not just to people, not just to personalities. There's got to be loyalty to truth. What, what do we have to offer God? There's something that we have. There's talents. There's abilities. There's strengths. You know, Miss Brenda, she is, she is a, for, we, we call her in the office, she's the form queen. She makes a form for everything. It's like, Miss Brenda, can you, can you file this here? And she will have a form. Pastor wants this file. This file is going to be on this paper. It will be placed in this drawer. And, I mean, she has a form for everything. And if you have a request for something, uh, you'll find that there is a form to fill out. Hey, Miss Brenda, can you, can you order this? All right, if you go out to the form station, and now we have a form station, because there's so many forms. But you know what? That's a strength. That's a strength. If you ask me to give you forms, we're in trouble. But she has something to offer. And there are many talents. Each one of us have different abilities and strengths and talents uh, to be able to serve. And God isn't just asking us to give what somebody else can give. God looks at us and he knows what we have to offer him. Uh, and here we, we see this, uh, this loyalty that Jonathan had. Uh, that loyalty went both ways. Not only was Jonathan loyal to David, uh, but David also, uh, and Jonathan was loyal to David. Jonathan was loyal to David in his life. David was loyal to Jonathan after Jonathan had died. There was a loyalty that was there. There was that friendship. And loyalty is something that we can give. Uh, we see how David had uh, cared for Mephibosheth, uh, Jonathan's son, uh, the rest of his life. And so uh, let's just start with what we have. Maybe it's a rod. Maybe it's a voice. Maybe it's commitment. Maybe it's loyalty. Maybe it's our influence. Maybe it's our influence. Go back to Daniel chapter number 1. Daniel chapter number 1, we see the account of Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were mentioned here as well. We're going to read quite a few verses. Daniel chapter 1, look with me at verse number 6, and we'll read down through verse 17. The Bible says, Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, 
For he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall ye make me endanger my head to the king. Then said Daniel to Melzar, whom the prince of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Prove thy servants, I beseech thee, ten days, and let them give us pulse to eat and water to drink. Then let our countenance be looked upon before thee, and countenance of the children that eat the portion of the king's meat, as thou uh, seest deal with thy servants." So he consented to them in this manner and proved them ten days. And at the end of the ten days, their countenances appeared fairer and fatter in flesh than all the children which did eat of the portion of the king's meat. Thus Melzar took away the portion of their meat and the wine that they drank, or that they should drink, and gave them pulse. And as for these four children, God gave them knowledge and skill and all learning and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. You know, Daniel here was a man, a young man who had his own convictions. And Daniel, in his convictions, he looked at what God had said for him. There was a dietary law that had been given. And now they come into this, this strange land, and now all of a sudden everything is there uh, to, be, to be feasted upon. Uh, they, were, they were given the king's banquet table, if you would. I'm sure there was bacon there. I am sure that there was, uh, there was uh, ham that was there. Uh, I'm sure that there was uh, lobster and there was crab legs. Well, come on now. And, and so here, uh, there were all kinds of things that were not lawful to eat in that dietary plan that God had laid out in the Old Testament. And now Daniel says, I can't eat this. Everybody else was eating it. Everybody else was feasting. Man, if you had never had bacon, just go back into your mind. So the first time you had bacon... I mean, all of the senses just are, they come alive again. I mean, it's just amazing. Uh, we, Christmas time, uh, we will, we will uh, do bacon and, well, not just on Christmas, but uh, Mrs. Brown, now, if she makes me bacon, she makes me two pieces, but she cuts them in half and gives me two little pieces. Isn't that terrible? But it's not as bad as what Stephanie does for David. She gives him turkey bacon. Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, Mrs. Brown tried. I said, never again. Not in my house. Do not bring turkey bacon into my house. And so we're, we're just going to stand by the truth. Amen. Uh, but uh, anyway, so their senses are all heightened. And, and here they're eating things that they had never been able to eat. And you know what? They probably were enjoying it. But Daniel had a conviction. That's not what my God said I could eat. It was a small thing out of everything that had happened. 
I mean, here Daniel was, and these, these Hebrew boys, and, and all the others that were in this group that were, t- were taken out in this deportation, uh, they had experienced so much trauma in their life. Abuse that they had experienced. Things that they had witnessed. And Daniel said, even in the small things, I'm going to be faithful to my God. But we don't find just him being faithful. We find his faithfulness causing other people to be faithful. You know what Daniel had? Daniel had influence. He had influence. And let me tell you something. Influence is a wonderful tool. And it's a tool to be used for God's glory. It is a tool to be used for God's honor. Uh, and it should be used properly. But here Daniel, he had, he had his own convictions and, and he had some strengths. But he made these, these decisions that he could not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat. And so da- Daniel makes these decisions and that gave him something that he g- could give to God, his influence. Influence to lead himself. You say, Pastor, I don't have any influence. Maybe the lack of influence in your life may be that you don't lead yourself. If we don't lead ourselves, we can't lead anybody else. And here he had influence upon himself. He knew what was right and what he knew He allowed to cause him to follow. Have you ever known something was wrong and you chose to do it anyway? Yeah. We didn't lead ourselves. And here Daniel, he had influence. He had influence to lead himself. But not only that, he had influence to lead his friends. Now all of a sudden we have others that were there that said, you know what, you're right. And if Daniel is going to stand for uh, this dietary law, then we're going to stand. And not only did he have influence to, to influence himself and lead his friends, he also had influence to lead those that were over him. You do not have to have a title to have influence. You don't have to have a title or a position to have influence. You see, Daniel here, he was a slave. Yet he had influence. He had an influence on those that were making the decisions. And from a position of subservience, he still had leadership to be able to, or influence to lead those that were above him. Uh, And we all have influence. Uh, But do we use it for good and for God? Uh, Do we use it for our own self-promotion? Do we use our influence for our own uh, selfish agendas? Or do we use our influence to help others succeed as they try to do what God wants them to do. You see, influence is a great tool. It is something that we can use for the Lord. You know, Daniel could have used his influence to push his own agenda. Years ago, I was, uh, as an assistant pastor, I was uh, meeting with Pastor Mengi, and we were talking, and he said, be careful of people that lobby. People that are always trying to push an agenda. And I was, and there were some people that he was mentioning that, he, that there were some things going on. 
and he, he, was, he was just letting me know. He said, no, he says, you need to be careful of people that have agendas. And I was thinking, okay, but these are good people. And he wasn't attacking their character. He was saying, he was just trying to teach me something. And after a little bit of time, all of a sudden things start jumping out. Things that he saw that I didn't see. They were using their influence to try to get something that they wanted. And when people are influencing and using their influence to try to bring about their own desires or to try to self-promote themselves, little flags need to go up. But Daniel, his influence, he wasn't trying to get that next step of a job or a position or a title. He wasn't trying to build himself a, a group of people that were following him. Daniel was simply trying to follow his God, and in doing so, other people allowed him to have influence in their life. So here, Daniel could have used his influence to push his own agenda, to promote himself, to prove his view, yet he used the influence that he had to just help him fulfill what God wanted him to do and what God wanted other people to do. You see, this influence that he had was not going to just stay with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. It wasn't going to stop just with uh, Melzar. It wasn't going to just stop with uh, the ones that were uh, making decisions. It, this influence that he had impacted all those that came out in the deportation. It impacted uh, all of the, the plans and preparations that, uh, that the prince of the eunuchs had made. Uh, everything changed. Why? Because of one person who had some influence. You have influence. You have influence. You have influence to, within your family. You have influence within your close uh, realm of friends. You have your influence in maybe in an area of ministry. Uh, and he didn't have any great position at this point. And he didn't have any great power. And, and he didn't have uh, much that he could offer to God. But he used what he had. And God used him to accomplish something so much greater. You see, let's start with what we can give God. Let's not start with what we can't give God. Let's start with what we can give God. We, have, we all have something to give to God. And as we yield ourselves to Him, it's amazing how He just allows it to come to the forefront so we can know. You know, in our life, what I have found in my own Christian life is that whatever God's putting his finger on, that's what I've got to deal with. The Holy Spirit knows what he wants me to work on. And it may not be anything that I was really thinking about. It may not be anything that I just studied in my Bible. It might not even really be what was preached in a message. But somewhere in the line, the Lord has a way of saying, hey, what about this? 
and he brings it to the forefront of our mind. Maybe something that we can offer God, he's putting his finger on in your life right now. Maybe he's already letting you know, hey, there's some, something I want you to give to me. It might not be a rod, and it might not be a voice, and it might not be some of these other things that we looked at. Uh, I think it will entail commitment. It will entail loyalty. It will entail influence. But maybe he put his finger on completely something else, and you and I, you know what we need to do is just say, okay, Lord, let's start with that. Let's start with that. Let's start with what God starts with. And when we start with that, we're doing okay. Father, I pray that you would help us in our own lives, uh, Lord, to be able to willingly, freely offer you what you are asking for us to do. And Lord, we all have insecurities, and we may not feel that we are equipped or able or that we have opportunity to do what you want us to do. But Lord, I pray that you would just help us to give you what we can. And so now I pray that you would speak to hearts. I pray that you would help all of us to look into our own minds. And Lord, may we just submit ourselves, yield ourselves, and may you work in our lives, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Let's all Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed our service. If you would like to hear more, visit our website at bbc4me.org. That's bbc, the number four, me.org. May God bless you.